Hello, you're listening to Renaissance Man, a podcast featuring my father, Philip Brunel, as he talks about the world of music. Right. So it's uh, where are we? it's we're in your office here at uh, Vocal Lessons right. and Plymouth Church and. Your computer's going to ding, and you're going to get messages, and Hopefully maybe the phone not. will ring. That'll be exciting. No. Um, for those who are are listening, um, Philip's office is lined floor to ceiling with books. They've recently been uh, reorganized. We can talk about that. But the desk uh, is festooned, I think is the correct word, with paper. Um tens of thousands of sheets of paper and po- lots of post-it notes and then you got the computer over there and the date book um talk to me about your your style here in the office uh how would you describe this um some people i think if a stranger walked in and saw your office they might panic no 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 it's it's very organized i know which what is in each pile of things that I have to do. There is one pile of things that is about projects involving vocal lessons and the board, things that are happening there. Another uh, pile of things are uh, letters that I need to write. They're not critical that they happen today, but they need to happen. That's another pile. Another one is some things for Plymouth Church having to do with uh, the upcoming uh, Sundays and the repertoire. So it's numbered, but I do know what's here. Yes. <laughs> so. Organized chaos, yep. so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and now I have to admit, I look at my own desk and go, wow, there's like 40 post-it notes and stacks of paper. I wonder where I got that from. I can't imagine where it got it from. <laughs> but, you know, it's actually, it's it's actually quite organized and I know what I'm doing and it's fine. If I didn't know what I was doing, I wouldn't be in this position. Are you, here, here's a question, uh, email inbox. How many unread, are you one of those people who needs to have zero unread emails and you kind of clear it out on a periodic basis or are you, do you have like massive amounts of unread emails? No, I have none. You read every, you, you see your, your inbox zero? Yes. You're one of those freaks. Yes. <laughs> no. I now I I wish I could also get down to getting rid of all the emails. But you know, you need to keep certain emails. I mean, I've read them all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you have to keep them until they are they become like to do. Right. Uh, but oh no, there is not one email that I have not read that's there. Wow, yeah. you're an you're an inbox zero guy. I, I had no idea. Wow, interesting. Okay, well, I mean, it it speaks to how you achieve what you achieve, which is kind of the subject of today's conversation. Um, we're going to talk about the upcoming 2021-2022 uh, season of Vocalescence, which right. is titled "Music Moves Us." Uh, there the 53rd are fifty third season. Fifty third season. There are six. Program, six programs we're going to talk about, but let's, before we dive into the six specific ones, I'm, walk me back a little bit. How long does it take to prepare 
you've got now a printed printed season brochure but where did this begin how long ago did you begin thinking about 2021 2022 as a season oh i would say probably two to three years ago oh okay and and what does that look like like because then that would mean that right now you are thinking about season the season for 24 25 yep why and how do you need to think so far in advance well you need to think in advance leaving always flexibility so that you can make change that can happen but you need that time so that you can look at what's coming up and have it you have to give it time to settle in to be able to say is that really the right concert for this coming season or maybe i should hold that one for a future season or maybe i shouldn't do it at all and mm -hmm. so you really need to kind of be thinking long range also knowing so that time for reflection essentially time for reflection yeah. but also knowing that when it comes to you want to commission new pieces well sometimes you don't know about them and so you sort of in a way have to leave a little space when suddenly uh like what happened for me uh two years ago when i was in new york and i met with this fabulous young composer Gabriel Kahane and knew that I wanted to talk to him about a piece. Well, we came up with an idea for a piece and two other choruses in the country, uh, one in Philadelphia and one in Los Angeles, were interested in being involved as well. Great. So we shared in the commission. But then uh, the pandemic came. He was working on it and we got the music for it and then he said you know i i like this piece but i think i've got a better one in my head so would you mind for the coming season 21 22 that we do a new piece even though this would have been a new piece mm -hmm. this is even a newer piece so that kind of flexibility is really important to keep in mind right so from a board of directors, executive director of an organization like Vocal Essence, one of the things to kind of keep in mind or a strength is long-term planning from an artistic perspective. Absolutely. Now, at the same time, at some point, you just have to say, that's it. Right. Oh, I'd like to be thinking about something. No, 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 sorry. There has to be publicity, there has to be promotion. We just have to say, now is the date and this is it. And and the season is great. So, I mean, because otherwise you could you could arrive at the opening concert and have no program. So we're, we're here in, in August. Your season starts in October. But when did you essentially, I'm looking at a program, but when did you essentially have it all contracted and kind of like set in stone? Well, because this year with COVID, we couldn't make some decisions uh, main, the big decision we couldn't make is where, because we didn't know if an audience was going to be allowed in a right. hall. Right. So we could, I could have said a year ago what this program was going to be, but then the question is, is there a place to perform these programs? Right. And so we really ended up making a final uh, m amount of time on this in May. Okay, so 
May to October, essentially, mm -hmm. you know. Um, normally, but, normally we would know even earlier, but because of this crazy year, that's what we had to do. Right, and, and from a location booking standpoint, there's a big difference of we know we're going to be able to have a physical audience in the room versus we know we can't, in which case you might pick a different venue because of you know it's going to be streamed, so you're going to think about the visuals differently. Right, you're going to think about the visuals, and you may just think about a different program. Right, okay. And from a logistical standpoint then, for those who don't program concert series for a living, um, it's now August. At what point do you have to contract the orchestra, the instrumental players, and then contract the singers? Like how, how does that all work? Well, orchestra players, as soon as you know you can, you can find the locations to mm -hmm. perform, you know, you, you would, in, in good time, you'd want to call these players, say, three months before mm -hmm. and put this in, or four months, depending on uh, when you have the information. As I say, this year is different, but normally that would be something that if we were looking at a fall concert in the spring, we would have been uh, giving phone calls. We couldn't do it that early this year, mm -hmm. uh, but we're doing it now. And, but for artists, now we have a concert coming up in May of next year. Well, I hired the two solo singers mm -hmm. uh, a year and a half, a year and a half ago. Right. Uh, but then I had to postpone them right. to the next season. But, yeah. but they got, they're wonderful and I needed to get them and get this on their calendar. Right, so yeah, it's all, it's all a matter of flexibility. Um, and yeah, learning how to pivot in the case of, of a pandemic, which were things still seem to be up in the air. Right? They are still up in the air. We are hoping that everything will happen as it should, but who knows? All right, well, you used the word hope, and that is in the title of the first piece. So let's, let's dive into, there are six pieces of music, uh, six concerts that are gonna occur. And this first one is called Hope Lives Here, Reflect and be reassured in the promise of hope for the future. Uh, that's the program in Saturday, October 16th at Orchestra Hall in Minneapolis. What's that going to be all about? What is Hope Lives Here? What do you expect to, to occur? Well, I think the idea of calling it Hope Lives Here, uh, Philip Schultz and I talk a lot about the theme of a concert. Mm -hmm. And we felt that as we are getting beyond COVID, mm -hmm. there's hope right. for our future. And therefore, that made sense that the title would be called Hope Lives Here. And we looked at some music that we felt had celebration in it, mm -hmm. uh, that had joy, uh, that people would come and be just, I think, thrilled to hear uh, the, the kind of music that is put together in a program like this. Sort of a, a cathartic yeah. catharsis from right. a programming yeah. sense. So the question then is, at what point did you start thinking about those pieces of music and what are they? Well, we started thinking about these pieces, you know, more than a year ago, but, but then we began thinking, what theme could they come together and represent? And that's when hope came into the picture. So for instance, 
Uh, and, you know, one of the things I love to do is celebrate anniversaries. Mm -hmm. And this particular year is the um, 100th anniversary, of course, he's no longer alive, of the Argentine composer Astor Piazzolla. Mm -hmm. Piazzolla revolutionized the tango. Mm -hmm. There's been tangos around for a right. long time. But he really made it a classical tango. And you and I talked about Astor when we did the musical moments on him. So right. for, for those of you listening at home, uh, we'll put a link in the show notes and you can see Philip talking about um, the accordion and the bandonian and and, right. and, and ha since our last conversation, have, has your accordion, accordion skills increased? Yeah, my accordion skills do not exist. Oh. But we have in town a phenomenal bandoneon player. And for those of you that don't know the bandoneon, it's kind of like the accordion, but it's not. Mm -hmm. So you really need to look in uh, online and see a picture of what a bandoneon looks like. Yeah. And so we're going to be doing uh, these four tangos. He wrote them to be the four seasons of the year in Buenos Aires, mm. and originally for strings mm. and bandoneon, but uh, he also then uh, approved of a version for singers. Mm. And so it's going to be for soprano, alto, tenor, bass, the ensemble singers mm -hmm. are going to be doing it, my 32 professional singers, and they'll do it with accompanied uh, by bandoneon. And the text is based on what? Da, 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 da. That's it. Really? So the only word is a, is a syllable, is a sound. Exactly. Or there's ba, 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 or dee, dee, do, do, do. It's it's all written out. Right. But it's 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 the, it's just syllables. Yeah. It's just phonetics. Yep. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Uh, and, but what makes it really wonderful, I thought, you know, we could do this piece. We did it about 10 years ago, and I love it, and right. it's wonderful. But I thought, this time, we're at Orchestra Hall. Instead of us standing up there and singing these four tangos, let's right. stand up there and sing it while nine dancers from Minnesota Dance Theater ah, dance ah. the tangos. So people are going to be like, oh, my word. So they can see visually right. what a tango works like when it's accompanied live with singing. Oh, that'll be awesome. That'll it be will be. And you're also doing a, a Leonard Bernstein piece. We're doing a piece called the Chichester Psalms. One of the movements particularly, when people hear it, they will go, oh, I know that. Right, it's right. very well known. And uh, it's a piece for large chorus. So we'll have all of our singers uh, 150 of them singing this piece. It's accompanied by an orchestra of a lot of percussion, oh, good, good. piano, uh, organ, and two harps. Mm -hmm. And uh, it will be, uh, a, it's, a, it's an, a rejoicing, it's a wonderful piece. But we again thought, uh, hey, how about dancers? Mm. I have never heard of anyone doing this piece with dancers, but why not? Right, 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 right. And so, and Minnesota Dance and Lisa Holton, mm. their artistic director, she was thrilled right. with the idea that we could do this piece with them. So we'll do the Chichester Psalms 
with dancers. Oh, that'll be fun. That'll it be will exciting. Be. And then I understand you've got you've got not one but two, or is this two world premieres? Uh, well, there's several. Yes, we've got this fellow who I mentioned, Gabriel Kahane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're doing an American. Yes, okay. lives now out in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, just terrific. And, and, and what, then, when you say you've worked with and commissioned hundreds of composers, so you say Gabriel Kahane is terrific. From Philip Brunel, what constitutes terrific as as a composer? Well, first of all, that the composer understands the voice. Mm. Not all composers understand voice. Right. And so there are pieces of music that arrive on my desk that I go, mm, maybe not. Just uh, not singable. Not singable, yeah. exactly. Uh, I got a piece the other day in which the uh, sopranos... Uh, are to sing uh, the word sweet, mm-hmm. and that's a fine word, on a high B. This is the B that's two octaves above middle C. Mm. Well, one thing you learn is, A, you can... Oh, we got a phone call. Why don't you pick that up, see who's there. Thank you for... Hello? Hey, I thought it was going to be at 4 o'clock. Can we? I'm in a. I'm doing a podcast right now. Call me back. Thanks. That's exciting. <laughs> well, you get a phone ring. So, so uh, the word "sweet" and "sopranos" and the "b above middle C." Two octaves. Two octaves. Above. Right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, come yeah, on, folks. Right. It's just not not a good. I mean, if you want to sing a high B. Mm-hmm. Maybe like ah, that's yeah. nice ah, but right. yeah, no, yeah. no. I mean, no. Some sopranos would faint when that happened. Kind of sounds like mice. Yeah, exactly. So the point is, some Gabriel. composers just don't get. But Gabriel Kahane gets it, and it's challenging music. Uh, that's okay. Yeah. And but it's going to be an interesting uh, piece that. Uh, so will... this this is the new one that he said I want to replace the one I was going to give you. So this right. is the new one. And and what's the theme of this Gabriel Kahane piece? Well, today is the twentieth of August. Mm-hmm. I hope to receive the piece uh, by September one. Mm. So I haven't seen it yet. Oh, I see. So September one, the piece arrives, and then you essentially have the month of September and a couple days in October to work it up. Yep. This is not unusual for composers. Yeah. No, and it, I have to say, as as a producer of, of other kinds of content, I, I feel you. I get you. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, you're, you're often, that's the nature of creativity and the nature of art is that we are beholden to the creator. Yep. Uh, and sometimes time management uh, is not the necessarily... The muse doesn't strike. Right, right. But, yep. it, but it will for Gabriel Kahane if he's, he's listening. He will come through. He had, he, we had first agreed on August 1. Mm-hmm. And then when August 1 came, he called and said, can I have a little more time? Right. It, it, it remind, I don't know who the author was, but I'm, it, it was one of the New York... She, she, and it was in New York, and something about the, the, the letter she wrote to her editor where she was easily two years behind on a deadline and basically said, I am so sorry I'm letting you down, but everything I've written is absolute dreck. 
would you please give me more? And the editor was like, well, what else am I going to do? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but so, uh, I'm looking forward to it. Great. Yeah. And yeah. then Kyle Peterson. And Kyle Peterson is a local composer, and he's writing a piece because the concert also will include our wonderful youth choir, mm -hmm. SOTA, Singers of This Age, and he's writing a new piece for them mm. that is part of our theme of hope that will be part of this concert. It's great. And, and has, has he finished? Have you received the music? Uh, we've got that one. You've got that. So the, that kid, the kids are working on it. That, exactly. All so that's, that's October. Hope lives here. Uh, you've got two world premieres. You've got uh, Bernstein. You've got Piazzolla and dance. That sounds like a fun show. It's going to be great. Yeah. Absolutely wonderful. Well, and then there's a couple of months go by. And then in December, on December 3rd at the Basilica of St. Mary, it's Bach's Christmas Oratorio. Um, J.S. Bach. When was the, let me put it this to this to you this way. When was the first time you performed Bach's Christmas Oratorio? The first time that I performed it? That you were involved complete? in it? Oh, to, well... The first time I conducted it uh, will be on December 3rd, 2021. R really? I've been involved in performances, and of course I've heard it and all yeah. that, but it's a, not a piece that we at Vocal Essence have performed. But we had talked to the Bach Society, uh, which is a wonderful, they have a wonderful Baroque orchestra. And mm -hmm. it really needs that kind of idea. And we want to do it in collaboration with them. Mm -hmm. uh, they have a, a fine conductor who actually lives in Canada, Matthias Maute, mm -hmm. and he is going to be here. And so there are six cantatas. When Bach wrote this piece, he wasn't thinking that it was going to be performed of all six together. Mm. Uh, they were they were written for six different days mm, during right. Advent right? But and during Christmas. So he uh, wrote this piece, but in the centuries since he composed it, people do perform it all at one time. Mm -hmm. Well, we felt that six of them, it's kind of like, let's follow dessert with how about another dessert? Right. And hey, here's yeah. another dessert. I mean, they're just grand, wonderful right. pieces. Yeah. So we're going to do four okay. of the six. Right. So Matthias is going to conduct two of them. Mm -hmm. I will conduct two of them. And we'll do it with the Bach Society Orchestra right. and with the ensemble singers. So help us understand. I mean, I think we all have a stereotype in our head of, of Bach and, you know, the, the wig. And it, where was he in his life? Uh, when he wrote this, was he young, was he old, and, and kind of, what's the motivation, do you think, behind this piece of music? Well, Bach, of course, in that day, uh, when he lived back in the 1700s, he was really expected that every week he would have a new cantata, and the cantata could be usually a combination, it, it would have a theme for that particular Sunday, and it would have, uh, therefore, a scripture passage that it was based on. Right. And usually it was several choruses, several arias, mm -hmm. and uh, perhaps a chorale, a hymn, to end it. And, and, and what sort of instrumentation could he depend on? Well, he could depend on strings and organ, and then depending on the... Th 
the, the theme of that particular cantata, it might have trumpets mm -hmm. and timpani, mm -hmm. it might have oboes, bassoon, flute. Uh, it just depended on what was needed. So that, let's say, if it was a cantata that was very gentle mm -hmm. in its theme, he wouldn't have trumpets and timpani right. there. Right. But if it was a theme of rejoicing, right. absolutely right. it would. But it's interesting to think, you know, we live in an era where we just have endless amounts of music available to us. Right. E either to perform or to listen to. But if you think back to that time, A, there likely weren't libraries of music readily accessible to churches or, or, to, or to kingdoms to have, it's, well, it's Sunday, we're supposed to have a performance. You literally had to write the music. You had to write it and then you had to write out all the parts and get it to the singers and to the instrumentalists by the next Sunday. So you might have your final Saturday, one rehearsal of everything together. Ready? Here we go. I, it's sort of, it's, it reminds me a little bit of like late, late, late night TV or news, right? It's sort of, they have to write the script the day of, and then, and then there's the newscast. And, and so interesting to think of now, nearly 300 years later, you'll have plenty of time to rehearse, but we're going to perform this work that he likely, you know, dashed, not that he dashed things off. In, oh, he in did it. dash things off. <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> Interesting. Okay, well, that'll be fun. Oh, Box. it will be, it will be wonderful. And, you know, uh, we at Vocal Lessons and, try to do many different styles of music mm -hmm. during the year, but it's often easy for us to get focused on uh, our present century right and forget not forget but just uh, not use the music of earlier times mm -hmm. as much so that's why this is a wonderful opportunity to sing Bach and the ensemble singers are thrilled that they can do it and well and how often is Bach's Christmas oratorio performed in general a lot okay yeah. oh no it, it will be heard in any metropolitan community every December by some choir. Mm -hmm. So it's just that we haven't done it, but now we were going to do it, of course, last Christmas, but then with COVID that didn't happen. So we're going to do it this Christmas. Cool. And then we, that's the beginning of December. And then we segue into very quickly into the, the welcome annual Christmas. welcome Christmas tradition. Right. Um, talk to me and how long have you been doing welcome Christmas concerts at Vocal Lessons? I can't tell you the first year, but certainly been doing it at least 30 years, maybe 40 years yeah. that we've done it. And we've always called it Welcome Christmas. When we started doing these concerts back then, uh, there was, it's totally changed because in the early days, if you can imagine 40 years ago, uh, there was Christmas music being performed by people, but it was always very close to Christmas. Right. And my idea was, well, why don't we start this music earlier in the year, earlier in December, mm. rather than waiting till, say, the 20th of right. December. And so if we're going to do that, let's say, welcome Christmas. Mm -hmm. And that's how the title came about. Right. And so we started earlier. Now, of course, 
there is Christmas music right at Thanksgiving and mm -hmm. on, so you know, so Halloween. it's not unique anymore. Yeah, to do it, but still we do this, and we always have a theme mm -hmm. for the concert, and this year the theme really is about uh, seeing the story of Christmas through uh, the eyes of a mother, hmm. Mary, but other women, mm -hmm. women today uh, as well. The whole idea of the mystery that goes on with Christmas and mm. how, how that's viewed not just by, um, say, people living in Minnesota in terms of composers, but people from all over the world. So this, the music will be of a variety of African-American and, and it will be music from South America Mm -hmm. and music from Europe. Oh, it's all over. So, I mean, because there are, there's a need for mystery in all music and, and music from others who exist everywhere. Hmm. Uh, so, uh, so welcome Christmas. Uh, it's gonna, there are, looks like three, three concerts yep. on December 11th, two of them and uh, one on December 12th and It'll be at Plymouth Congregational Church and then also at the Roseville Lutheran. Um, talk to me a little bit about Jose Mauricio Garcia, Mar Jose Mauricio Garcia Nunez's uh, Magnificat. Well, Nunez, who was also featured in an earlier uh, musical, musical moments, moment, right. yeah. an unusual composer uh, writing at the same time as Mozart. Mm. And, but, you know, people don't really know much about about him because uh you know how are you going to get the music you know it wasn't right. published right. it was only there down uh in down in brazil that you would have have seen the music mm -hmm. of of nunez mm -hmm. and uh so but it's it's if you listen to it you would go boy it sounds kind of like uh, Kind of like Mozart. Mm -hmm. Well, that's because it's in that period of Mozart, and a lot of music had a similar, right, um, a similar flavor. Though it would, though it has a really distinct feeling that it's his. Yeah, so that'll be fun. And then you're doing some work by uh, B. E. Boykin and Vincent Lusitano and Zanadia Robles. Yeah, these are all some wonderful African American and. Uh, Latino composers mm. uh, that we are doing, plus others that aren't that you know we didn't include in the list. But it, you know, there's easily that concert which will be the chorus. It will be some members of the ensemble singers, and it will be the singers of this age, our youth choir. Uh, it will be, well, I'm sure probably something like fifteen different composers represented. So there'll be a wonderful kind of range of sounds that people will hear. Well, it sounds like uh, a nice way of welcoming in Christmas with this notion of, it will. Of, of mystery. And some of it will be familiar and some of it will be brand new. Right. And then we go through that lovely period in Minnesota where it's um, absurdly cold and a lot of people go south. And then spring starts up and in March, we bring back uh, Witness. And now, Witness is, how many years have we been doing Witness? Witness is, the, this will be the 33rd year. Wow, yeah. 
And I started Witness because of the idea that, well, it's, as you know, I'm a very inquisitive person. So I'm always curious, well, what about this? And mm -hmm. 33 years ago, I still remember on the radio, they played during February, Black History Month, they played a Duke Ellington tune. Right. And the announcer said, well, that's our tribute to uh, Black History Month. And I remember thinking, one piece? That's, that's it? Right. Is that? So then I began thinking, hmm, what's out there in the choral music field? And of course, I knew a lot of it, but there was a lot I didn't know. And right. so we began exploring all kinds of music of various African-American composers. And we've just, well, we'll never end up doing all of it. Right. There's so much. Some we repeat, but we've had wonderful themes, wonderful ideas. But this year, we really wanted to focus on this amazing group called the Aeolians. They are a choir of about 40 singers coming from Alabama. I can say it's the best black choir in the USA. They, you shouldn't miss this. They are so amazing. And they're so, from Oakwood University. Right, down right. there, down, down, in, uh, down in Huntsville, right. Alabama. One of, the, one of the historically black colleges and universities. Yep. Um, so what is it about the Aeolians? Again, you're a choral director. You've been in China and Europe and all over America, and you've been directing choirs for decades. Help us understand from a choir perspective, what is it that the Aeolians do as a choir which constitutes don't miss this? First of all, a gorgeous sound, a wonderful blend of their 40 voices, and the energy that they bring to every piece, whether it is a quiet, fervent prayer or a very vibrant rejoicing, it doesn't matter. They they will just have everyone at the end, uh, right on the on the edge of their seat, because they just believe so strongly. So do other choirs, but it's just the combination of all of this that they come together. Two years ago, they sang at the American Choral Directors National Conference, right. and I mean, people just were astonished. People knew that there was this choir in Alabama, but they'd never heard them, and we. You know, Philip Schultz and I both said they must come to Minnesota, and so they will. And so you're going to do some music of Nathaniel Dett, who yep. we talked about in right. Musical Moments, and Adolphus Hale Stork. Yep. Um, so that'll be awesome. It will. And, and we don't know all of what they're going to do, but it's sort of like saying, okay, on this concert, right. uh, you know, we need you to do 30 minutes of your own, and then let's do some things where our singers join them mm -hmm. and right. do some music together, which is a wonderful thing for everybody. Right. Wonderful for the singers in the Aeolians to have, wow, we suddenly are singing with a hundred other people. Right. And also for our singers to work and sing and collaborate with the Aeolians. That'll be great. And that is March 6th at Orchestra Hall. And then in April, a concert titled Choosing Love and it says, through singing, movement, spoken word, and visual art, 
vocal essence singers of this age and guest artists invite us to envision a world where we listen to and learn from each other. So, so this seems like it's focused on the younger choir. It they're, is. They're kind of getting a moment, a moment in the sun. And so let's back up. Singer, vocal essence singers of this age, right? Soda. Um, what was the inspiration behind that group, and and how has it transformed? Well, the inspiration, the idea, really was something that Philip Schultz and I spoke about when he came here six years ago, mm -hmm. and I said, you know. I would love to have us create a choir of young people mm -hmm. that looked like our community. Mm. And because, frankly, most young choirs are all Caucasian. Right. Um, maybe a few other folk are in there, but it's pretty much that. And I said, what I'd really love is to have a choir that came out on stage and the audience would look at it and say, hey, that's the Twin Cities. Right. There are Hmong, and there's Latino, and there's African American, and there's right. Caucasian, right. and there is Japanese. I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, that's what we wanted to do. And Philip Schultz, who before he uh, came to the cities, lived in Georgia, he was a high school choir director. Right. You know, so he got the whole kind right. of idea right. yep. of what that was. And so this concert, Choosing Love, uh, this choir is not a group that gets together just to learn notes. This is a group that gets together to also just learn what life is about and sharing experiences with each other. Right. Because let's face it, how often would somebody who is a junior or a sophomore or a senior in high school have a chance to be together with such a diverse group of young people mm -hmm. and learn from them and right. learn just what they how they feel life and what life is for them but also i think to focus on art and singing yes you know i mean you you know there are groups that get together and focus on say um drone racing right, right? or or engineering or athletics yep. right the the, the typical path for young people are, are, are the more common, you know, the sciences or, or the athletics. Um, but the fact is, in, in the year 2021, there aren't a huge amount of uh, extracurricular kind of programs for youth to sing in, yeah. right? I mean, I, and I'm thinking, do you recall, you know, in the 50s and 60s, it seems to me, when you tell me about about that time period, that there were more um, volunteer uh, amateur choirs uh, in the Twin Cities. Right? Well, there were. I mean, there still are. But, you know, let's face it also, when it comes to high schools and budgets, right. when it's time to, oh, we have to cut something. Hey, let's cut music. Right. I mean, it, yeah. it happens Sadly. all the time. Right. And it's one of the things I'm always trying to fight against because, mm -hmm. wow, what, I mean, music, first of all, not just to listen to, but to perform, mm -hmm. it's so great for your health, it's so great for your mental health, your physical health, mm -hmm. it's just a great experience for young people to have that, and it's an, one of those unique ways of bonding with people. Well, here's the interesting thing about singing and choirs from a, uh, a budgeting standpoint. Almost free 
to produce. Right. I mean, no one needs an instrument. Right. Right. You can literally perform it in almost any venue. Yep. Uh, and, and and it's inexpensive to produce. So the ROI on choirs for young people versus say other programs is incredibly high right. for, for the payback that you just mentioned. So absolutely. So that's going to be exciting. Uh, Sunday, April 24th at Ordway. What a great venue and singers of this age and the program called choosing love. And then, <laughs> um, so Sunday, May 8th. Um, and, and we have to start here because I remember when you first told me about this idea and you, you called me up and you said, do you know who Stuart Copeland is? And, and I, I thought to myself, are, are you kidding me? And, and then in, in the subsequent conversations that we've had about this piece, I had to reveal to you, my father, that, and, and the story goes basically like this. So I'm probably 12 or 13 years old. It's 19, well, 1977. And... FM radio, and I hear this guy singing, Roxanne. But it wasn't just the singing by Sting. It was the drumming. And I'm hearing this beat and this playing, and I'm like, what is that? And someone turns me, that's the police, and that's Stuart Copeland. And I was studying percussion at the time. And he was like, ooh, hey, yeah, that's Stuart Copeland. He's, he's playing a reggae rhythm on top of a rock and roll pattern. Let's, let's deconstruct that. And so... What you didn't realize when you decided to align with Stuart was that he's the guy who basically drove a wedge between father and son uh, in 1977. And I was like, screw classical music. I'm not interested in opera. I want to listen to rock and roll. And so when you said, do you know Stuart Copeland? And I went, wait a second, hold on. And then you said, we're going to do a thing with him. I have to laugh because that guy, you, unbeknownst to you, He's a connection that you and I have going back decades. So, so Satan's Fall is the piece. What is this piece of music, Satan's Fall, that Stuart Copeland has written? Well, Satan's Fall, the title, it's based on part of the John Milton mm. uh, book, right. uh, Paradise Lost. Right. And uh, the epic poem. Yep. And can you recite a little of the epic poem? I've read the whole poem and it's very, it's huge. I and, mean, yeah. And Paradise Lost is about the Garden of Eden. It's about the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve and all of that. And it's a piece that lasts about 45 minutes. But, but it's worth, worth noting that Satan, at this period prior to the Garden of Eden, was, was not the devil. No, right. Was in fact one of God's angels. Yep. Right? So yep. there's this interesting transformation. The fall is from being essentially one of God's angels. angels falling to becoming what we now know as the devil, as Satan, right. through the lens of, of the Garden of Eden. Right. Exactly. Well, it's a, it's a very dramatic, strong, wonderful piece. Mm. Um, and, uh, and and you'd mention so two singers and then chorus. well there's more singers than uh, that but there's two of them that I heard the premiere it's only been done once and that was out in Pittsburgh yeah and uh, it was done there with my friend Matt Mahaffey mm -hmm. who also is on the faculty here at the University of Minnesota and we got involved in helping to commission it and so I went out to hear it out there 
which is where I first met Stuart. Right. And uh, the performance, no, there's a cast of about six or seven solo parts mm -hmm. and chorus and orchestra. And uh, uh, yeah, it's a very stirring piece. Um, very, as I said, very dramatic. Mm -hmm. uh, my plan is before the performance happens, uh, I'm gonna find a way that everybody who's coming uh, has a chance to get to read a synopsis because it's like going to an opera. Right. You know, you really can't sit there and catch every word. You right. won't. Right. But if you can know what the synopsis is, right. you can get an idea. Okay, I see where this is going. Right. And you can follow. Okay, here's Adam, here's Eve, here's right. Satan, and how does right. that work? And so it's worth noting that Stuart, people think of Stuart Copeland, he was the drummer in the band The Police. Um, an amazing body of work as, as a rock band. And that the band, um, after that band broke up, Stuart got into composing music for films. Right. right? So uh, all kinds of uh, uh, films with uh, Coppola and others, uh, and then music for television. And you, one could argue he's been composing, you know, classical music uh, for longer than he was essentially a drummer, but he's right. also still drumming and, you know, he's got a, a, a thing now called Police Deranged, which is orchestral interpretations of music by the police that's that's touring around now. And and so this piece, um, again, is kind of in his, again, as he's a drummer, so there's a lot of rhythm, right? Oh, yes. A lot of interesting sounds. Very much. Yeah. Um, but as a as a, as a as vocal essence as a choral piece, what attracted you to it? Well, I think several things uh, attracted me. One, the text. I thought, woo, the mm, idea right. of Milton's thing being set to music. Hmm. There are others that have said right. it, of course, but that was number one. I think number two was just knowing uh, a bit about Stuart Copeland's background. I thought. Wow, I mean, this is uh, this is a first-rate musician, mm -hmm. uh, and it will be interesting to see what he does with that text uh, when he sets it. And it's you know it's it's very it's very vocal, so that was important to me that it was something you could sing. There were no high B's with the E vowel up there, <laughs> you know, right? Yeah. So Stuart you know, knows how to write for voice, right? Yeah, but it's also very. Um, I mean, it's a very dramatic piece, and that attracted me also. I right. thought this would be something that that the vocal essence singers would love to be involved right. with. And so what we're going to do is make this the second half of the concert. Mm -hmm. And the first half, uh, we're, we've put together uh, some music that uh, deals uh, staying with the theme uh, of the whole thing of the Garden of Eden mm -hmm. and... Uh, things, not necessarily all pieces of music that were written today, mm -hmm. like his, right. but some things from the past that we felt sort of uh, enhanced and got people in their frame of mind about what was going to be coming up with Stewart's piece. Right. And you're working with the director, Peter Rothstein, from Theater La Teda is going to help. What's his role in terms of staging? Well, his role is just helping us think, how can we take Central Lutheran Church, that space, and how can we use it uh, in terms of where would we place people? Mm. Where would we, you know? So it's not going to be an opera in the sense that people are going to be moving all around. Right. But we're just figuring out how could we focus? Where 
where should we put Satan? Mm. Where should we put Adam and Eve? When I saw it in Pittsburgh, they had to do it in a very cramped spot. Mm -hmm. And so everybody just stood like right. you often see them On in the an oratorio. Stage, yeah. Yeah. Right but I wanted to do something that could give us a little more uh, flexibility in terms of the, the spot, and that's what we're going to get. And that's what, well, it reminds me a bit of our conversations about, you know, we now live in an age where because of streaming, because of uh, people experiencing things remotely, um, video is an increasingly important component of performance. Right. And so how you visualize the experience, you know, it's, it, it, is sort of not enough to just stand and deliver, right? Right. You have to have the performance. You have to think about like again, where did where should state, Satan stand in relationship to the other characters and the orchestra? So, so and Peter's an amazing director, so yeah. he'll bring yep. a, a great sense to the the the, the um, to the show. And and Stuart's going to be there. Absolutely, Stuart's right. coming. So we're working on, you know, how can we also while Stuart's here, we don't have this set yet, but you know, what else might be part of uh, of a few days that he's here right. that makes get I'll even find time for him to meet you Tim <laughs> <laughs> that'll be amazingly humorous yes um, so that's the 2020 21 22 season music moves us we're going to start with some hope we'll go through an an oratorio we'll do we'll welcome Christmas we'll do some work with the Aeolians in March We'll choose love with singers of this age, and then we'll conclude the season with Stuart Copeland and Satan's Fall. Yeah, and uh, and wow, that just sounds like a lot of fun. People can go to vocalessence.org/slash-subscribe uh, to to dive into all of that. Do you have any parting thoughts about? I, I guess you know you've planned how many fifty. Three fifty-four. This is the fifty-third season. Fifty-third season. Yep. How does this one stack up to the the other seasons you've planned and executed? Just as creative as all of the others, if not even more so. So yeah. I mean, you just keep thinking. I mean, my problem is that if I had my druthers, mm. we could do a concert every day, <laughs> or every week. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think that the Twin Cities is ready for that, so right. we won't. But yeah. there's so much great choral music, right. we could just, I mean, you look in this office yeah, and right. see what's there. There's just a lot of wonderful music of the past and the present that, wow, we could just, we can go on and on and on with choral music, which, of course, is what I'm all about. Yeah. Well, thanks for catching us up on the season. And... Um... We'll keep talking. We will. Well, there you have it. A recap of the 21-22 season for Vocal Essence starting in October and ending next May. Always nice to hear the thinking and the analysis and the research that goes into developing such a robust season of programming. And it'll be a lot of fun to hear Stuart Copeland's piece of music come May. So Renaissance Man will continue. We've got some additional recording dates set up. We're going to keep talking about the business of choral music, the business of programming, of working with conductors and engaging singers, and all of that. Thank you for listening.